Welcome to episode 258 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps thanking you for joining us for another episode. If ever there was a time to take a deep breath, I would say it's right now. And we have just the woman to walk us through that. Victoria Albina is a functional nurse practitioner, certified breathwork meditation facilitator, life coach, and host of the Feminist Wellness Podcast. She not only understands the mind-body connection, but she has great tips for helping us use our breath to calm our stress response, boost our immunity, and enjoy each moment just a little bit more. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Thank you for having me. Well, we wanted to talk to you because there's a lot going on right now, and you bring such a unique perspective because you understand both the physical and the mental health aspects of everything that's going on. And I wondered if you could start by talking about how does the physical and the mental work together? Absolutely. So this is my passion to talk about the psychosomatic mind-body connection. To do so, I'm going to nerd out pretty hard. (laughs) We love nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Make sure your pocket protector is firmly in place. Is that (laughs) all set? You got your safety glasses on? I got my safety glasses on. Scotch tape. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. The scotch tape really adds something, you know. It's styling thing <laughs> always. So the mind-body connection is a huge one. And to talk about that, we need to talk about the nervous system. So we talk about the autonomic nervous system and something called polyvagal theory. Have you heard about that? Yes, but why don't you talk about this? So we understand that the nervous system, the autonomic, which I remember as automatic, it controls your heart rate, your breathing, your diaphragm, your swallowing, your digestion, creating thyroid hormones, sex hormones, lots of good stuff that I personally don't want to think about. Because I'd be dead if it was like, all right, 60 beats a minute. Come on, girl, let's go. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember to check my email every hour. I mean, come on. (laughs) Exactly. So the autonomic nervous system controls all of these beautiful things. And it also has two main branches, sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic, most people have heard of, that's fight or flight. That's the part of your nervous system that alerts you to danger. And so your body is constantly scanning your environment, looking for danger. And what used to send us into fight or flight, into that sympathetic activation in which adrenaline, norepinephrine, cortisol are racing through your body, used to only be things like lion attacks, a snake in the cave, right? These kind of big things. And you can take a guess what stimulates that part these days, right? The news. The news. Yeah, or an email from your boss, a text from your ex, a call from your mom, whatever stimulates that part of your brain. And so our bodies get activated into this part of our nervous system more and more these days, which is really creates a lot of wear and tear on our bodies and can get us into this rhythm in which we see the email, we see the news, and we start to panic. We start to get activated. Your hands might sweat. It might get kind of clammy. Your mouth may get dry. That's cortisol. Your heart might start to race. Your breathing might get shallow. The other side is parasympathetic. So that's generally referred to as rest and digest. That also, thanks to polyvagal theory, the work of Stephen Porges, we know that that has two branches of its own. One is the ventral vagal, and one is the dorsal vagal. So ventral means front body, dorsal means back body. 
And so ventral vagal is safe and secure, social, connected. I like to think of that part as your happy place. Isn't that sweet? I like that. I love that. So are you a beach or a mountains, forest? What's your happy place? Mine would be on a beach with mountains in the background. Ooh, I love it. Like a nice Costa Rica maybe? Oh, yeah. I'll take that. Okay, great. I will meet you at JFK. Just okay. kidding. We can't go <laughs> Not anywhere. Right. Now. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's your happy place. Mountains with the beach, nice and calm. You've got your favorite beverage. You're cozy in the sunshine. Everything feels <sighs> relaxed. When the ventral vagal energy is running the show, you are digesting, you are turning your thyroid storage hormone T4 into active T3, which means you're metabolizing, you are creating good sex hormones out of your food. So if you're a human who gets a period, that's happening regularly. Things are just sort of clicking along. And this is when cognition, thinking capacity is at its best. You make smart decisions or you have the capacity to, <laughs> right? Doesn't always mean you're doing it, but you could if you wanted it's to. It's an option. It's, it's an a, option. It's an option. <laughs> so that's ventral vagal. And this is our body's first impulse when we're under stress, when there's trauma. Mr. Rogers said it best, and I will paraphrase the good man, always look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. Right, So we can always settle ourselves in in any stressful situation by looking where there's help and ventrally vaguely connecting. When we take a deep breath in and out with a big long exhale, that also centers us into ventral vagal. So that's a nice thing to remember. The last ditch effort of the body and the nervous system is dorsal vagal. So I remember the dorsal fin on a shark, or I just remember back body, my back's against the wall. So I picture myself as a cave human at the back of the cave. It's dark. I'm scared. I tried to outrun the lion. I don't know if he followed me towards the cave or if I made it. So I immobilize. I play dead. I freeze. It can look like procrastination. It can look like self-doubt. It can look like depression. It can look like, you know, when you're in a conversation with someone and you're trying to get them to see your point and they're just doggedly like, nope, you're wrong, you're wrong, <laughs> right? And yeah. you're just like, you know what? Fine, dude. Okay, fine. <sighs> whatever. Just like whatever. That's that dorsal vagal expression. Oh, Shut down. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, that is. Yeah. And so if we think about all of our experiences throughout the day, we can often put things into one of these categories, sympathetic, fight or flight, ventral vagal, safe and connected, dorsal vagal, freeze. And by starting to recognize what state we're in, we can understand the chemical signals whoosh, racing around our bodies and we can meet ourselves. So these patterns and ways of being, these habits, because I do think of them as habits, right? They're not written in stone. It's not like a forever Z's. It's your habit. And it usually gets set into place ages zero to three, which is fascinating, right? Yeah, that's highly interesting because especially people who are particularly anxious. Yeah. And so is that something that happened in early development? Often. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was an anxious attachment or an ambivalent attachment. There was 
often not a very secure attachment there. So it could be, you know, you could have the most loving, amazing parents, but at age two, you needed a surgery and you were held down and it scared the bejeepers out of you because you're two and your body encoded that as a trauma because it is a trauma. So it might be something for your own best good, right? Surgery on a two-year-old, nobody wants that, but if you need it, you get it, hopefully. And that can be enough to create that trauma response. My point in saying this is my work as a life coach and as a nurse practitioner are very much strengths-based. So it's vital to me to support people in seeing these responses as simply what they are, a physiologic response and one that can be repatterned, healed from. That's super important to know because sometimes people feel like they're just locked into it. There is a lot of anxiety in my family of origin. Mm. And you will hear many of them say, well, it's hereditary. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe our family's just been jacked up for generations. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that because mm-hmm. I have aunts that have severe anxiety and then siblings that have it as well. And so that's really interesting to be able to give people that gift of thinking, yes, I can heal this part of my life. Absolutely. Because we do, as humans, have something called neuroplasticity which means that our nervous system is plastic, moldable, changeable. It's a ton of work, but it's also a ton of work to be anxious, right? Yeah. That's exhausting. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Even if it's a default, it's really exhausting. It really is, both physiologically and mentally, right? And then it's exhausting to your relationships because you're questioning everything. And right now, people are really concerned about their health and they're concerned about staying well, but they're not necessarily thinking about what the stress and anxiety is doing to their health. And so that's why I wanted to talk to you so much because you understand that big picture and how we can manage this to not have the stress over possibly getting ill affect our well-being. Absolutely. So the way I think about that is, of course, based in the nervous system. And by remembering, and I'm going to say some things that can feel a little hard to hear, this moment is no more uncertain than any other moment. That's a great statement because right? we're just aware of its uncertainty. <laughs> exactly. It's not any different. Mm-hmm. We're just very, very aware of how vulnerable and uncertain it is. Exactly. Yeah, a friend of mine was a third-year med student and was hit by a bus and died like a decade ago. But she wasn't worried about the uncertainty of crossing the street. Right. But it was, in fact, uncertain for her. I was also a hospice nurse back in the day, and it would be so interesting. People would check their loved one into hospice and would then say, gosh, now that she's in hospice, I'm so worried that she's going to die. And I was like, uh... kind of why we're here. Literally, my job is to support her so she can die peacefully. Like, she's going to die. We're all going to die, right? I mean, I don't mean to exclude any vampires in your audience, but, (laughs) right? We are inclusive and loving. But other than them, we're all going to die. We're all born, we pay taxes, and we die. That's all that's given in this life. Right. Everything else is icing or not icing. Exactly. Exactly. So by remembering that life is always uncertain and the thing that we can control or exert some control over is the way we think about life in the middle. And this is the life coaching work that I do from a strengths-based cognitive behavioral place to help people see that your thoughts may feel automatic, 
but you can intervene to shift your thinking away from worry, doubt, panic, freak out into a focus on today and what you can do to support your best wellness today and then do it all again tomorrow. And this requires making a plan. This isn't just you get up and think, I'm going to be good to go. You really do have to take kind of a tactical approach to this, especially if you're being bothered by stress and anxiety. Yeah. My focus is always on getting really present in your body and to your felt sensations so that you can show up for your body and its experience of being in the world. And you're right, that takes practice, right? Most of us aren't really keenly aware of our intuition, our gut feelings, and the way our feelings make us feel, meaning when I feel sad, it's like this heavy, dark energy in my chest. When I feel angry, it's like this bubbly red volcano in my belly. When I'm frustrated, my eyes hurt. But by getting in touch with those felt sensations, it helps us in that moment when we may be heading into the sympathetic, right? That fight or flight, that no cognition (laughs) or that dorsal shutdown, which again is not a very thinky place. So we can connect with our bodies and get ventral vagal with ourselves, help ourselves to release oxytocin the chemical of love and connection for ourselves. So it might sound like waking up and the first thing you notice historically may be a thought, oh gosh, I'm worried about the death rate today. And so you can breathe in, slow out. That big exhale, there's science there. You're blowing off carbon dioxide. You're centering your body into parasympathetic. You're getting ventral vagal. Everything I do has nerdiness attached. (laughs) It's just how I roll. It is how I roll. I roll deep nerd. (laughs) Thank you. And so then the next thing you can do, instead of letting your lizard brain, that anxious part of your brain, take over, you can actively, consciously plan to connect with your prefrontal cortex which is the part of your brain that does executive function. So that's driving a car, putting on shoes, sending an email, doing stuff other than like walking, moving, right? The more reptilian business. And the reptilian business is also where fear, anxiety, stress, worry lives. So you can get into that prefrontal cortex and you can just decide before you go to bed, tomorrow when I wake up, Whatever my thoughts are, I'm going to take that big, slow, deep breath, long exhale, and I'm going to check in with my body. And I'm going to connect with the felt sensation that's alive in my body, and I'm going to let that guide me as to what I need. And how important is it to, one, put that in your head before you go to sleep, and then two, do that before you even get out of bed? On a scale of one to 10, I'd probably put it at a 47. (laughs) (laughs) That minimal, huh? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's like no big deal, but yes, 47 for sure. Whatever you put into your cognitive space before bed is generally the first thing that your waking mind will attach to. So if you have been waking up with a lot of worry or you're having trouble sleeping because you're worried, keep a journal next to the bed. And what I will often do is put my eye mask on and then journal. Oh, really? Yeah. So I grew up with a lot of codependency, the habit of perfectionism, self-doubt. This is 
why I do the work I do because I was really struggling and suffering with those thought habits. And so to invite that perfectionist part of my brain, that worry part, to just hush up with love, with gentleness, right? But just shh, right? Not to say shut up, but to shh. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put my eye mask on and I'll get the journal and I'll just write. Usually it's a blob, but it's not meant for reading. It's meant for writing. It's meant as a kinesthetic, right? Like a brain-body connection way to move your hand on paper, to feel your body writing and to release some of that stress and anxiety through that process. And you bring up such a great point because journaling is a fantastic thing to do at this time especially. Yeah. Because we have, as we've been talking about, there's a lot of stress and anxiety and uncertainty, but there's so much opportunity to discover parts of ourselves, to change how we react to situations around us and within us. Exactly. Yeah. It gives us cognitive distance, right? Because when you're having thoughts and feelings, it's really, really easy to identify with them. Just even to think about how in English we talk about our feelings, I am mad. Which is like, I am anger personified. Yeah. <laughs> right? Not, I feel anger. I am right. anger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so journaling can give you a little space to see it in black and white and to take the ego out of it just a bit so you can de-identify. It's not who you are. It's just an energy, a vibration moving through your body from your brain to your body. So when we're talking nervous system, polyvagal theory, the vagus nerve is body up. So your body looks at the world, sees something it doesn't like, hears something it doesn't like, like a roar of a lion in the distance, and sends a signal up to your brain. Run! There's another system at play, which is brain down. And that's our cognitions. That's our thoughts that create the feeling in our body, like self-doubt or worry. For example, the thought, I'm really worried about the stock market, will create that worry and stress within you. I'm worried I may get sick, will create that stress within you. Your nervous system will react, your brain will react back and forth and back and forth and back and Mm -hmm. forth until you can interject. For example, to pick a new thought, right? I'm doing the best I can to take care of my health right now, which may make you feel calm. Or calmer. <laughs> and 1% calmer is huge right now. Calmer, yeah. yeah. We'll, take, we'll take that. Take but you're certified in breathwork meditation. I and, sure am. And I really want to get some time to talk about that because I find it super interesting. I think it's so timely. Can you, first of all, explain what that is and then explain how it works? Absolutely. So there's a thousand ways to do breath work. There's all sorts of practices from just the really simple breath in, slow, slow, slow exhale we've been doing throughout the show. It's a form of working with your breath. There's also the four, six, eight breathing. People do different numbers, but breathing in, holding, and then again, the long, slow exhale to get you ventral vagal. The breath work I do is based in pranayama, so it's a 5,000-year-old yogic technique. So it's unproven is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, no randomized control. I'm also an epidemiologist by training. There is not a randomized control trial for this. 
No, but just, you know, casual 5,000 years. So no big deal. What's important to me to say is I'm Argentine American. Yogic traditions are not the traditions of my people. And I bring this forward with an energy of appreciation, not appropriation. I'm not trying to say this is mine. I have the honor of sharing it. And what it is, is a big deep breath into the belly, into heart center and out. It sounds like this. <sighs> we do this practice lying down. I like to use a nice little eye mask, some blankies, so you're getting your physiology ready for that ventral vagal state. And it is super transformational. So I often call it breathwork journey meditation because it can be quite a journey, meaning it can be psychedelic in nature as you move the energy that may be stuck within your body and free it up and get it out. Your body can go to some wild places. If we understand brains, and you know I do, the brain loves activity. It loves to be really thinking and doing and doing and thinking, which is part of why just a regular seated Zen meditation never really worked for me the way breath work does. So with the hypervigilance I learned as a child, it was never fully comfortable for me to invite my brain to shut all the way off. And so what breath work does is the literal opposite. It gives your brain a job. Focus on the breathing. All right, brain, you're in charge of keeping this rhythm so my spirit, my body can go elsewhere. So it allows you to sink deep into your body and then to journey wherever your spirit needs to take you. This seems like it'd be something terrific to do right now when we're safe at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hear people talk about I'm bored, I'm just getting restless, I've been binge watching Netflix. This seems like a great opportunity to learn how to do this. Absolutely. So I have been doing free breathwork circles, just open to the public through my Instagram, which is Victoria Albina Wellness. And I did two, one very early on in this journey and one slightly more recently. And so if you go to victoriaalbina.com forward slash COVID dash breathwork, you can put your email in there and you'll get the last two calls. So two 90 minute calls sent right to your email. Easy peasy. And this is something you could do with your family or whoever you're quarantined with. Absolutely. And and everybody benefits from it. Absolutely. It can be a little challenging with smaller kids to sort of keep them quiet for a minute, (laughs) more than one. Yeah, exactly. 59 seconds. But yes, it's a beautiful thing for humans of all ages who are amenable to it. And there are some notes about folks who might not want to do this practice right now, but that's all in detail on the website. And then how often should you do that? Because I do short meditation every day. Oh, beautiful. But this is something that takes a little bit of time. How often should people do it and how do we make it an ongoing practice? Yeah. So personally, I like to do a longer practice to get started, such as one of my 90-minute circles. We spend about the first 20 minutes talking about the practice. I give a short talk about a subject. Then we dive into the practice, active breathing for 25 minutes, shavasana or rest for another 15 to 20. And then we hold space for integration at the end. So the 90 minute isn't 90 minutes of fast breathing. No one panic out there. <laughs> it's cardio. Right? Oh my God. Totally. Right. Please don't do it on the treadmill, but it's nice to do that 90 minute circle. I also have on my website, victoriaalbina.com forward slash breathwork gift. 
And that's a 13 minute practice. Oh, great. So, yeah. So I worked with a composer in Italy, this guy, David, who's phenomenal. And I led him on a breathwork journey and then together composed this music that leads you through the arc of transformation. It's really rad. I love it. And it's so fun to be able to give it away for free right now. So that's on the website too. So 13 minutes, I think most mammals can figure out a way to hide from their family for 13 (laughs) minutes a day. (laughs) Right? And the other beautiful part of it is that there is a degree, going back to neuroplasticity, of muscle memory, where once you've done the breath work and your body has felt how powerfully your body's chemistry shifts, how those big moves in energy that can happen with this breath, you really can do just the breath once or twice and invoke that physiologic memory. So what a great tool. It's so amazing. I'm so excited that you could come on and talk with us because what a great tool this is for people. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm loving it. On the landing page for the podcast, we're going to give them all the links so that they can find you and follow you and listen. You've got a great podcast. They can catch up on all, what are you at, like 60 episodes? They can catch up on all of them right now. All of them today. (laughs) (laughs) Victoria, I thank you for talking with us about this because I think it's such a timely topic and one that all of us can use. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. And I love that I can share the Feminist Wellness Podcast with your listeners as well. That was Victoria Albina talking to us about how to use our breath to calm ourselves in times of stress. If you'd like to learn more about her podcast, download a meditation, or sign up for her masterclass, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. And while you're visiting the Live Happy site, I invite you to also visit our Live Happy store and enjoy 15% off our inspirational happiness books, mop top pens, bookazine, and much, much more. Just enter the code LIVEHAPPYNOW. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm-hmm.